And we're live with JavaScript Air. Hello, everyone. My name is Ken C. Dodds, and I am your host. And uh, today is episode 10. We're base zero, so this is our 11th episode. Um, and we're going to be talking about ESLint. So um, yeah, really exciting times. Before we get into the show, I just want to give a shout out to the sponsors who make this show possible. So first, uh, our first sponsor is Egghead.io. And uh, they're our premier sponsor, and they have a huge library of bite-sized videos on web uh, development. And so check them out for content on JavaScript, Angular, React, Node, Cycle.js, like all kinds of reactive awesomeness, and even Elm now. Um, check them out. Frontend Masters is a recorded, uh, recorded expert-led workshop with courses on advanced JavaScript, asynchronous, and functional JS, as well as lots of other great courses on front-end topics. And Track.js reports bugs in your JavaScript before customers notice them. And with their telemetry timeline, you have the context you need to actually fix them. Check them out and start tracking errors today at trackjs.com. And Wallabyjs is an intelligent and super fast test runner for JavaScript that continuously runs your tests. It reports code coverage and other results directly in your code editor, editor uh, immediately as you change your code. Check them out at wallabyjs.com. And finally, CodeCove. CodeCove is coverage done right. Reduce technical debt by visualizing test performance and faster code review. CodeCove is highly integrated with GitHub and provides browser extensions. Learn more at codecove.io. And uh, these sponsors are awesome because they make it possible for us to do some cool stuff with the shows. So thank you, thank you to them. Um, yeah, so one thing that we're going to change about this show, and I should, I should apologize, I have a bit of a cold, so if I sound funny, that's why. But... Uh, um, one thing we're going to change about the show is we we normally do um, a like at the end of the show we'll do questions from Twitter uh, for those of you who are watching live, um, but we're going to actually sprinkle those throughout the show. So if you have questions at any time throughout the show, um, then go ahead and tweet the hashtag JSRQuestion, and um, I'll be watching that and, and kind of pop questions in here and there as they come in. Um, also. Um, as a general announcement, our next show is next week. At, uh, it's live at ReactConf, and it's going to be um, like at the conference. And the conference is on Monday and Tuesday, and so our show is actually going to be on a Tuesday, and it will be at 12.45 uh, p.m. PST. So I think that's like two, almost three hours later uh, than normal. So uh, check that out at the website and uh, add it to your calendar so you don't miss our live show at ReactConf. And I actually... Last week we did Forward.js, uh, the live show at that conference, and I thought it went really, really well. Um, so looking forward to doing another live show at a conference um, this time around. Cool. Okay, so now let's actually get into the meat of our show. Um, we have some experts about uh, ESLint, contributors to the project, and, and uh, fanboys. I'm looking at you, Jamin. Um, <laughs> so um, let's, let's get an introduction uh, to our guests and to the people that we have on the show. So um, for our panelist uh, today is Brian Lensdorf. Hey, what's going on? <laughs> and uh, then we, for our guests, we have for us um, Abuka DJ. Hi. And uh, Gayandeep Singh. Hello. And Ilya Volodin. Hello, everyone. And Jamin Ferguson. Hi, friends. And uh, again, I'm your host, Kenzie Dodds. And let's go ahead and get an intro to our guests. Uh, so why don't we start with uh, Feroz. Can you give us like a 30, 60 second intro to yourself, who you are, what you do, and, and how you're related to ESLint? 
Hi. So uh, I actually I'm just an ESLint user actually. So um, I made JavaScript standard style about a year ago, and uh, it, that uses uh, ESLint as the linter under the hood. And so I just uh, I guess I just have a lot of experience using ESLint. Cool. Uh, thanks for your contributions. That's uh, mm -hmm. I, I know a lot of people use standard and and have benefited greatly. So uh, cool, Gandeep. Uh, hi, I'm a software engineer with Cerner, and I basically do JavaScript and database scripting at my work. And on open source, I contribute mainly on JavaScript uh, world, and I've been with ESLint since late of 2014. Cool, thank you. Um, all right, uh, Ilya? Um, hi, I'm Ilya. Um, I am a software developer at Demandware. Um, and uh, I've been contributing to ESLint since I think about third week it was posted on GitHub, so about um, two and a half years now. Um, that's about it. Cool. Uh, and Jamin. Hi. So I'm Jamin. I work at PayPal. I make uh, websites there. And I'm excited about ESLint and got started working on it a couple of years ago because. I was always trying to add custom rules to JS Hint or JS Lint or customize it to help my team. I've always worked for larger distributed teams, and so I've always really uh, wanted tools that helped make it easier to enforce good practices on those teams. So I started contributing to ESLint, or at least getting involved in ESLint pretty early days. And then uh, really when ESLint started supporting ES6, I, I started working really hard <clears throat> because I really, really wanted to use uh, ESLint with our, our ES6 stuff here uh, when I started. We started using ES6 at PayPal about a year and a half ago, so that's how I got involved. Cool. Yeah, that's actually how I got started using ESLint as well. Was because I wanted to use ES6 and JS Hint wasn't quite there. Uh, so, cool. Um, well, why don't we uh, like we are actually already have a couple questions on Twitter, and I'd like to get to those, but I think it'd probably be wise, prudent for us to get a little bit of the background and backstory of ESLint, uh, what it is, um, maybe some prior art, uh, that kind of thing. Is anybody feel up to the task of giving us a little bit of a history lesson there? Sure. I guess I can start. Um, so ESLint uh, is a static code analysis tool. Uh, it basically is there to try to catch um, you know, potential errors in your JavaScript code as well as um, try to um, uh, enforce a specific style um, on your code. Um, prior to ESLint, there used to be uh, JSLint. Um, that, that's the oldest tool that I'm aware of, at least. Uh, uh, it was uh, fairly opinionated, um, and it wasn't really all that configurable. So uh, at some point down the line, um, JS Hint was created as a fork. Um, it, it you know, it had more rules, um, a little bit more flexibility in terms of uh, configuration, um, but ultimately uh, it was hard to create your own uh, rules for it. Um, so that's kind of what I think sparked the idea of ESLint. Uh, but at the same time ESLint showed up, uh, there was another one that, that showed up, JSCS. Um, but JSCS focused mostly on the styling uh, only, not on the potential errors. Um, ESLint chose to 
try to do both. Um, and ESLint used a slightly different approach than, than other um, lenders out there. Uh, it, it basically used uh, AST parsing, Sprema, in the beginning uh, to, to parse out your code into um, uh, abstract syntax tree and then walk the tree and invoke the rules for, uh, for different nodes. Uh, Go ahead. Yeah. So, what what is what really made ESLint like uh, amazing compared to the previous tools like JS Hint and JS Lint, which were very good, is it made it very easy to write custom rules. So, I think that's where you know people like me are really excited about ESLint because all of a sudden, uh, because of the using abstract syntax trees and and making basically each rule is its own little JavaScript file. So, a rule might just be ten lines of JavaScript, and so. ESLint's really the, the big separator for me from the other tools is that it just made it super easy to contribute, um, which is why I think we have so many uh, contributors and many fine people on the show. And just to add to the plugin nature of ESLint, I think we went across the board with plugin. Like you can plug in external rules, you can plug in your own parser if you have, you can have plugin based basically uh, another configurations where someone defines a set of configurations saying, hey, this is how you should style your code, and then you can share that across the board. So we go in different areas when it comes to plugins, uh, parsers, rules, and configurations, things like that. Cool. Yeah, that's. Uh, I think that gives us some pretty good context. Now, uh, let's talk really quickly about a history of standard and what that is. Uh, for us, maybe you can give us a little backstory on standard. You're muted. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> thanks. So, um, so I started this project two years ago uh, called WebTorrent, um, and that's uh, that's a completely different project um, uh, to build a BitTorrent client for the browser. And uh, while maintaining that, I started to notice a trend of uh, basically people sending me good pull requests on GitHub, but that had style issues. So this is like you know a pull request where you 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 know the contributor clearly um, you know knows what they're doing. They made a they made a good change to the project, and you want to accept it. Um, but if you merge if you if you, know, if you merge these kinds of pull requests over time into your code base, you know it's slowly going to just start to look like a like a big confusing heap of you know all different sorts of styles. And so at this point, you know I I had two options. I could either um, you know reply. Uh, and tell them to fix it up, uh, or just merge it and um, fix it up myself. And I wanted to be a good maintainer, and I wanted to be, you know, friendly, welcoming project for new people to come in and contribute. And I just couldn't, I couldn't like make myself just comment and 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 make them do the work because I, I felt like it was it was kind of rude to to do that to a potential you know, new contributor, someone who's just trying to be helpful, to go and send them back and make them, you know, learn how to force push, uh, you know, to their pull request branch and all this stuff that they might not know how to do. So the friendly thing to do is to just merge it and fix it myself. And I just got tired of that. So I was looking for a linter. And um, previously I had only used JS Hint. And so um, I decided I would just make a module uh, and put one configuration into that module and then I could, t I could require that module across all the various repos that make up the WebTorrent project, because there was about five or 10 at the time. And that way, I wouldn't have to keep the config in sync between all of them. 
because I, I knew from previous experience using uh, JSHint and JSHintRC files that you end up tweaking a rule here and there, and then you have to then it gets out of sync across all the different places you use it. And anyway, so the the, the whole goal was to just have uh, one uh, one npm package that you could require and then update. Uh, and when you updated that, it would update across all the all the different repos that used it. And so so that's how standard was born. But the 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 naming was actually going to be I, I actually was going to name it something like WebTorrent style or Feroz style or something like that. And then right before I named it, I decided to do a quick search on npm for like available package names, and uh, found like a couple of names that sounded cool. One was one was policy, and then the other was was standard. And I was just like, hmm, standard sounds good. It's you know it's a code standard. And then right when I was going to write the readme for it, I decided to just call it JavaScript standard style as a joke. Literally as a joke, and uh, and then I posted it, and then people started thinking it was real. Like, oh, this is a this is a style guide I should use, and that's actually how it, how people started using it. It was not like it was not serious from the very beginning. So the moral of the story. But anyway, I mean, that's 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 great. Just just claim the important names. <laughs> I think uh, Froze is frozen, um, so we'll just. Uh, continue on, but that was an interesting backstory. Um, and I, I remember JavaScript. when Standard came out and Twitter was aflame with like, how pretentious of this person to say that this is the one and only like end all be all. But actually, it's a really cool, uh, cool library, and I think uh, people should check it out. So I'm gonna go ahead and, and hop into Twitter really quick for uh, some of these questions because we've got some solid questions with the hashtag JSR question. Um, so the first one is. Um, from Ian Van Schuten, uh, and his question is, what do you think is the biggest challenge ESLint has yet to solve? Uh, it's solved them all, so no, just kidding. Uh, no, uh, well, a little bit of a background. Ian is actually also a contributor on ESLint project, so I think it's a... Um, Sort of a question that that concerns all of us um, uh, on ESLIN team, um, uh, and I think one of the biggest uh, challenges for ESLIN to solve right now would be auto fixing. We we do uh, auto fixing right now. Uh, we introduced auto fixing as part of the uh, 2.0 release uh, just last week. Um, but it's very limited right now, and it doesn't really allow you to do auto fixing on all the rules um, and Basically, we just uh, we need to figure out a better way to do that uh, in the long run. I think. I'm back. Thanks for coming back. Yeah, <laughs> so, my cool. Uh, next question happening. from uh, Luke Schunk. Uh, I think that's how you say your name, Luke. Tell me if I'm wrong. Uh, but uh, his question is: What are some new or unknown ESLint features/slash rules you might recommend in general and specifically for React users? Uh, I think for uh, the 2.0 which we came out with, uh, we introduced two of the things which I can which I remember right now is one is uh, initialization functionality where if you are brand new, you haven't used a linter on your project, you can just use the initialization pro uh, a feature of ESLint and it'll give you a ready-to-go config file which is based on your code and it will also tell you uh, uh, it'll activate certain rules looking at your code code style. And I think that's pretty cool. And then the second functionality was we actually I think we are 
would be the only linter, I'm not sure, but uh, we introduced code path analysis. So you can actually uh, uh, look at the path inside each for if conditions or functions, wherever you want to go. So that analysis, you can build using the code path analysis, uh, which is really helpful. And for especially for React, I think since most of the things, uh, most of our rules uh, also support React functionality out of the box, but there is a plugin uh, called ESLint plugin React, which has more focused rules on uh, React. Uh, with, if you combine default rules from ESLint and then also the plugin from React, that'll give you a good balance of what you need for React. I also want to mention that the ESLint plugin React has a lot of rules for JSX as well. So even if you're not a React user, but you use some, some alternative like Virtual DOM or Deku or something, that you should still probably look at that, that ESLint plugin React because you can, you can uh, like make rules for indentation of JSX and stuff like that. I think for me some of the most important rules are the Node.js rules, so things like not ever throwing, um, or, or sorry, always returning when you call back uh, or handling errors in, in if you're using callback pattern, the, the handle callback error rule. There's also one that won't let you throw uh, a string, which is something that I've run into at PayPal sometimes. If you throw a string, it can be very difficult to debug, so there's rules you know, really to catch bugs and mistakes, those are, those are my favorite rules. The style stuff's nice. Use standard for style, but um, use ESLint uh, in addition for all the cool uh, additional bug catching that it can do for you. Yeah, I think that that's where it gets interesting. Like, we're starting to compile our JavaScripts, and where do you draw the line between, you know, compiling your code and just, like, linting? You know what I mean? It's, like, auto-fixing. It's catching possible errors. Uh, will it do optimizations for us? Can we do like loop fusion and things? Like, where where are we gonna cross the line? Do you think? Well, I think we're we're not planning on doing optimizations. Um, uh, we'll leave that to something like Babel um, uh, or tools like that. Um, but you're right. I mean, in order to for us to lint the file, we need to basically parse the entire script um, and turn it into a AST and that is a sort of a pre-step for compilation. Um, if, if you don't have a valid JavaScript code, we just won't be able to parse it. Um, so it, it, is, it is sort of like compilation. Um, however, we do everything as a static analysis tool, so uh, we, can't, we can't track your variables uh, very well throughout the code. Um, we can't work on different modules at the same time. Um, so it's not it's not quite the same, um, and I'm sure somebody is going to come up with a full compiler for JavaScript at some point, um, but ESLint isn't trying to do that. Uh, we're just trying to, to provide a tool that would make it easier for you to find potential errors. Um, just do the, this um, sort of um, sanity check before you even run the script. Um, so actually, that that brings up an interesting topic. So last night I was talking with somebody. I'm I'm in the middle of trying to maybe write a um, a library or a tool that would validate a Webpack configuration because it's that can be easy to get wrong just from like a spelling error or something. And so um, I was thinking um, of maybe writing an ESLint plugin um, to to do that rather than like 
what my original idea was, just like pass me your configuration and I'll, I'll log war warnings to the console. But maybe instead of using ESLint to like do linting of your Webpack config. So anyway, somebody in the Gitter chat uh, on Webpack mentioned to me that um, ES, like I, I was kind of comparing the two and I th said, well, if I do it kind of with the, you know, give me your config and I'll, I'll log uh, to, the, to the console for you, then I have the benefit of runtime, uh, like actually what the values are, rather than trying to statically determine what the values are. But he mentioned that um, ESLint can do some sort of runtime checks. Uh, is that true, and how does that work? No, we, we, we cannot do um, runtime checks, um, but we do use a package called um, um, ESCOPE, scope, I guess, um, which will track um, the variable lifecycle um, and try to basically kind of provide us the reference for a given scope within a given function or within a, a, a given file. Um, so we can do some magic that looks like it might be runtime, but it's not runtime. It's still static analysis. It's just a little more complex static analysis than uh, what you're used to. Um, uh, the um, the new feature that was mentioned before, the static pass analysis uh, that we introduced um, in 2.0, uh, makes it even more so. Uh, we can actually track the branching of the code. Uh, we can verify that every single uh, if statement uh, or every, every single branch of a switch or an if statement returns um, a specific value that you want and do it for loops and um, comparisons. Um, so it, it's it's pretty powerful, and it can sort of seem like it's a runtime analysis, but it's still static analysis. And I, I think on that point, it's just it's very close that uh, you can where you draw a line between flow and, or TypeScript versus what we are doing here. Because in flow or TypeScript, I haven't personally used it, but I think you can know that, okay, a number, an integer is coming in or a string is coming in into a functional scope. In, in regular JavaScript, we just know that there are two variables in this scope. So all ESCOPE can tell us is how many variables are present in this scope and how many variables are writable, like who are writing to these variables or things like that. So I don't know if you can say that it's like, Partially runtime, you can know what kind of variables are in scope at that functional level, but uh, you can't determine whether it's integer string. So that's where full runtime picture you need to have whether it's a string or number to go along and perfectly. So, uh, you bring up uh, flow and TypeScript. There's actually a question on Twitter that uh, touches on that. The question is. Uh, does ESLint support uh, supersets of JavaScript such as TypeScript, JSX, and Flow? I think we all know that it supports JSX. We talked about that, but uh, can you touch on JS or uh, TypeScript and Flow? Yeah, we actually recently we started an experimental. It's still an experimental stage right now, but if you go inside ESLint's uh, ecosystem, you would see a TypeScript ESLint parser. So basically, since I talked about how you can switch parsers based on your needs. Uh, like Babel has their own parser, and then we are, we are experimenting with uh, a TypeScript parser so that that TypeScript parser can parse the code and then ESLint can consume it and then do static analysis on it. So it's still under experimental flag, so 
feel free to go there and then contribute if you find some bugs. But uh, I would try it, use it on your project. If you find something, log an issue. We're still working on it. But yes, we have started some work around that. But we haven't talked anything about flow, to be very specific. We started with TypeScript right now. Cool. OK. Sweet. Um, then uh, another question from Twitter. Uh, why do you think ESLint is important for all of the uh, JS developers out there, spe uh, and specifically for newbies? I think this is a great question. I'm happy to comment here. What I've seen working on large teams and distributed teams and big projects and all that is that uh, having consistent style in your application is really important. So it makes it easier to context switch between different files. And it's not necessarily so important what the style is, as long as it's consistent across files, which is why I think tools like Standard are, are getting very popular as well as ESLint, because they just say, hey, everyone just use this one style. And the more projects and more people using that style, it's, it's actually easy for you to, to switch through those different projects and very quickly get uh, a better understanding of what's happening. So for, for that side, it makes it easier. And then the other side is just catching simple mistakes. New users or new developers, as well as experienced developers, have you know, always trouble making bugs. That's what we do. It's, it's kind of like the biggest thing we make is bugs, it seems like, sometimes as developers. And so I think that tools like ESLint that help reduce the number of bugs that are created and especially help you learn from past mistakes are, are really helpful for, for all levels of developers. I think it allows you to avoid having to write tests um, as like or write as many tests. That's kind of like the benefit from you get from a type system, right? Is you don't have to write as many tests um, by just doing ESLint or linting in general. You don't need to write as many tests. Well, yeah, I think that's what like you only have to write four tests. That's it. <laughs> More rules. That's, it's interesting, like where where that crosses the line with types, but. We were just talking about how uh, types are kind of like a um, you know a whitelist where uh, tests are like a blacklist. Um, so you can say this type only allows these things to get into my app, uh, whereas tests saying like are just like well we know about this situation we're going to try to test this situation. Um, ESLint makes a rule, so I guess that's closer to a type than a test, but I don't think it's any substitute. I want to throw out there this notion, and I'm going to hear what people think about it. Writing a custom linting rule is actually more valuable than writing a unit test. I don't think those two are related, uh, in all honesty. I think you need both. Uh, unit tests, the primary goal of a unit test isn't even to verify that your code is correct. It's to allow you... Uh, sanity of refactoring your code any way you want and making sure that the output still matches what you had before. Uh, ESLint is there to catch some basic mistakes that you're going to make. Um, some of them are more complicated than the others, but still, it's, it's, it's basic uh, error handling, uh, let's say. I like this, uh, this idea because what, what I think, though, is that if you can write an uh, a, a ESLint rule that prevents a certain type of a bug from re-entering your code, I think that will be extremely powerful. So you can write a unit test to make sure that you don't put that, the bug back in that one place, 
But you can actually write a rule that prevents that bug from entering in any place in your application. There's huge power in that. I think, I think it magnifies your power. Rather than writing a unit test uh, in one place, the ESLint rule protects your whole application. I agree. It's very powerful. I just don't think it's a substitution for unit tests. I think you should have both. Sure, sure. But, but I'll say this. If you find a bug and you can write a lint rule that prevents you from re-entering that bug anywhere in your app, it's actually going to be more valuable if you can prevent that from entering anywhere than just writing a unit test to prevent it from returning that one place. Yeah, I could I could definitely agree with that. Um, but I, I think that there are certain things that you simply couldn't r write um, ESLint plugins for. But maybe maybe my ESLint uh, foo is not no, quite you're, up to, you're right. up to uh, You're very limited in what you can write plugins for. So I, I agree with you there. But I think at, at some level, it's it's interesting to think of it that way as actually preventing bugs on a on a higher level than maybe a, a unit test could. Um, sweet. So, we're if anybody watching live has some more questions, um, we've used up. Actually, no, there is one more question uh, in Twitter. So feel free to ask some more. Uh, the one other question that we have is from Ian Van Schuten, and uh, he asks, "What are your favorite ESLint plugins?" We all just use raw ESLint here. Nobody here uses plugins. They're they're garbage. No, just kidding. <laughs> Actually, I, I, I don't really use that many uh, plugins myself, but um, uh, React, is, uh, as was mentioned, is one of the most popular plugins out there. Um, uh, there's also a plugin for Angular, um, the Slint plugin Angular, um, which is also pretty popular. Um, and uh, the, there's uh, also, if you're using um, new features um, of ES7 and beyond, uh, you're probably have to use uh, Babel ESLint um, parser, and they also have a plugin, uh, ESLint plugin Babel, um, that that create that overrides certain core rules and um, to work with new features. And uh, by the way, that was a question about the flow. Um, you can actually use flow with ESLint if you're using Babel ESLint parser. It will support parsing flow. I'll just throw out there oh, for oh, go, go for it, man. <laughs> You're the guest. Oh, thanks so much. Uh, you can talk next. So I think there's a really cool plugin out there. It's called ESLint plugin. I think it's called Import, and it has all these cool rules that check. For example, if you're importing a module, if that file actually exists, we've run into this a lot. And I don't know if any people have have seen this issue where you might rename a file from lowercase to uppercase, and Git might get confused and like three or four times this happened because we have a bunch of modules and we've sort of been wholesale like porting them over from uh, ES5 to ES6 and changing things and renaming things. There's just been a lot of change. And so the ESLint plugin import has some great rules to help make sure that the file that you think you're, you're bringing into your project actually exists and uh, is spelled correctly. So that's, that's helpful. And then I'm working on a plugin about promises, but I don't know promises very well. So if you have any tips, you can do, go to ESLint plugin promise and see if you can make suggestions for making that better since I'm, I'm trying to learn more about promises. Cool. That's a good way to, to learn about technology is write uh, ESLint rules for it. Yeah. I don't know how this works, but I'm going to make sure it's written in the same way. Maybe that's not such a good idea. Are you, is the idea that you want to make sh assert that uh, error is caught and it's always being returned, you know, the, the value is always being returned and things? 
Yeah, so basically I, I read some great stuff about promises and I thought, I don't know what I'm doing, so I'll, I should probably have a rule to make sure I'm doing it following these best practices. Right on. So I had a quick question, if, uh, um, just to throw it out there, is uh, you can only really uh, enforce ESLint in certain uh, situations. Like if, if you don't run it, then nobody's going to actually use it. Uh, so uh, how does everybody actually plug this into their prog uh, you know, their project so it always runs, like a pre-commit uh, pre hook or like CI or test suite? Um, I think the most common uh, way is CI. Um, you you know use whatever task framework you want. Gulp, Grunt. They all have plugins for ESLint. Uh, NPM scripts. Easy enough to create your own um, and have CI fail um, if if the ESLint doesn't pass. Um, Pre-commit hook would be another way. Um, there's actually also a project. I don't remember what it's called right now. Uh, but it's a uh, GitHub bot that will run ESLint on the pull request and, and put in line comments for all the errors that were found. Um, so that's that's another way. But I think CI is is the most common way uh, of running ESLint, probably. Dude, get us a link to that bot, man. That sounds awesome. <laughs> I'll try to find it. Yeah, I want to point out, um, my, my favorite is the pre-commit hook, definitely, because it saves me from every commit, I have two commits, and it's like the, the original commit, and then the amendment, like, linted, because I get kicked out after a CI build, so um, you don't if, have to keep you, rolling. If you're, yeah, if you're using the one of the um, code analysis tools, um, I don't know, there's, there's a bunch of them out there nowadays. Uh, I'm trying to think of a name of at least one of uh, them. Code Climate. Yeah, Code Climate and, and, and so on. Um, majority of them has a, a module or support for ESLint as well. So if you're using that in your repository, it will also notify you about the ESLint errors. Cool. So um, maybe we could talk a little bit about uh, writing plugins because hey, I think. Oh, we can. Struggling to unmute. I thought maybe Dan or someone would mention this, but the the ESLint uh, Webpack loader thing is the greatest. Is the greatest because what I found is that um, it will just help you prevent uh, the errors so fast. Like because as soon as you're working inline, if you have the the Webpack loader set up for ESLint, it'll just show right in your terminal you have a bunch of errors. And what what I found on our team is that people will get mad when they write a bunch of code and then they they go and commit, and then they, they run into this error. They go to try to push, and they get those those linting errors. But it turns out that it's much more exciting and much nicer if you find about them earlier. So I would recommend integrate into your IDE, which I do with WebStorm, works pretty well, or use the, the if you're using Webpack, the Webpack loader for ESLint is just amazing because it helps people discover the errors way earlier, and they get less cranky when running into the errors if they can solve them earlier. Yeah, on that, <clears throat> in our uh, in our company, me with my one of my colleagues, we co-authored a uh, a dev environment where it's constantly running lint uh, for your code changes as soon as you make code changes while while you're doing the development. So you already have that story in front of your face, what's going on as you make changes and as you save the code. So uh, and it keeps on refreshing as as you save files on it. Uh, and then once you have, once you are finally ready, you're done, 
that will give you the most up-to-date uh, report with all the errors. So you you won't if you're looking at the report, you won't miss uh, any errors, and then you can commit the code if everything is good. So before even CI catches it, you should be able to know what's going on as you code. So that was one of the experimental things we did, and it's working good. Did, has anyone used ESLint dash dash fix as like a pre-commit hook so they can just write whatever dirty code they want and then it'll just get fixed to the standard at the end? Yeah, actually, so I I don't like writing semicolons, but for a while in a, in a project, uh, semicolons were, were required, and so I um, I use Vim, and every time that ESLint would run after I saved a file, it would add dash dash fix, and it would add all the semicolons for me. I love that. Wait, uh, are you saying that you can actually uh, tell ESLint to fix some issues? It's the first time I learned about it. <laughs> Yeah, it's a fairly new feature, but yes, it, it's been in ESLint for, for a little while. Yeah, why don't you talk, could, could we talk about how that works a little bit? And, and if I wanted to write my own um, rule and um, have it automatically uh, be fixed, how would I do that? All right, so nobody's taking this. I'll, I'll give you quite quick uh, outline of how it works. So basically the, the fix smart logic for each rule is built into the rule. So when you're writing your rule, which you, if you write the rule in a regular way, then you just have to export another function, which is like a fix function, where you do the fix. And since right now with 2.0, we only support white space fixes and not the other kind of fixes. So we have some helper functions which you can use to during your fix, and the functions are like, hey, replace this space with two spaces, or um, remove uh, remove anything on this uh, range from two to three. So you can use all these helper functions using range information from your EST, and then you can replace anything on that range information. So if you want to, let's say for example, if you want to replace a, a semicolon with nothing, just a blank space. You can just tell the, inside your uh, fix function, you can tell ESLint to remove any text from this range to this range, so it'll just wipe out that. Or you can say replace uh, uh, that information with something else, like if you want to put a question mark, just for example, it'll replace the semicolon with a question mark. So yeah, there are... Um, I'm gonna add a, a fix on a custom plugin that replaces all semicolons with I don't need this <laughs> with, with a comment that's just like, I, who needs semicolons? This is garbage. <laughs> you can do that. You'll have no friends if you do that, Ken. Don't do that. I don't recommend <laughs> it. Uh, so just, just one, two, two quick things to add, and maybe Ilya has a little bit more to comment. Most of the, the fixes right now are just around spacing. Uh, so there's semicolons, and then there's spacing. Those are really the the main things that are automatically fixed right now. A lot, there's a lot of interest, and if you look at the ESLint issues, I think a number of people are looking at branching out auto-fixing to additional things. I think there's probably a lot of worry that code will break, and I think it's really important that your linter doesn't break your code. I think that would be probably a good feature of a linter. So I don't know, Ilya, can you comment a little bit about on, the, on that? I know there's some good discussion happening right now in the issues about you know, how far should fixing go. Um, well, ideally, uh, we would probably want to take it all the way over 
almost all the way. Uh, there's no clear way to fix certain issues, um, or at least there's no one way to fix certain issues. Um, but for the most part, we would love to be able to fix everything. Um, there are a few specific issues right now preventing us from doing that. Uh, first of all, uh, Island was designed from the start to have each rule be completely isolated. Rules don't know about each other. They don't know about anything. The rules that are in the core ultimately are exactly the same uh, as the um, rules you will find in any plugins. We don't have any special functionality for the core rules. Um, so they don't know about each other, and they can't share information currently. Um, so for example, if you're fixing <coughs> something that that needs uh, one, one of the examples, actually, today uh, it happened. Uh, somebody was trying to fix um, object declarations um, to basically put everything in the quotes. Uh, but because we have another rule um, that, that deals with quotes, um, and you specify which type of quotes you want to use for that rule, the rule that that um, the, the person was trying to fix uh, didn't have any knowledge of what type of quotes you would need to use in order to fix your code. Um, so unfortunately, that's it's just a, a something we don't have right now. We are looking into uh, trying to figure out a way to to do it without you know kind of uh, binding the rules together and, and creating interdependencies. Um, the other thing is that a lot of rules uh, we we are trying to keep ESLint. Uh, fairly performant. Um, I don't think it's a necessity for a, a linter um, to be incredibly fast, but I still think it's it's important to keep it within a reasonable amount of time. Um, so we chose to do auto fixing as a single pass only. We don't rerun ESLIN after we fix some issues. Uh, because of that, we can't really be 100% sure that the fix that we just committed isn't going to screw up some other rule. Um, and uh, we, we're also trying to figure out some sort of way of doing it. Um, not really sure what it is right now. Cool. Uh, so um, we've got another question on Twitter. I think uh, now's a good time to uh, hit questions on Twitter. So if anybody's watching live, they'd like to ask a question. Now is the time, JSR question, hashtag. So this is from Yanis, and um, it is, what is the best learning curve for ESLint? I mean, Dan uh, just discovered new functionality. Is there a list of all the cool stuff? Yeah, we, we try to keep uh, very clear documentation. Honestly, I think that's one of the things that sets us apart from a lot of other open source projects. Uh, for basically every release, we will always have all of the release notes with every single commit um, with a link to an issue that, uh, you know, spawned the commit uh, posted on our website. Uh, we'll also, for every major release, we'll also uh, uh, add the migration guide because, you know, between the ma uh, major releases, we, we do change a lot of things. Um, so migration guide should help you upgrade to a newer version. Um, and also for pretty much any release, we will also have a, a paragraph up top describing major changes within every release. So uh, our blog on the website is probably the best way to keep track of new features and uh, you know get an idea of what's what's new available. 
Cool. Yeah, I think actually ESLint um, is really good at, uh, at documentation and, and releases, like having a full-on blog um, for releases um, that kind of describes uh, different things and having migration paths. Um, that has been really helpful and I think a really good way to uh, to manage a, an open source project that's as big and serious as ESLint is. Cool. So. Um, I think we're we're kind of coming down on our time here, um, but is there anything else that um, the panelists or anybody else wanted to uh, mention before we wrap up our show? I, I think I want to give a shout out to Nicholas, who's the man behind the man behind the great librarian tool. So I think he did he did uh, a great job in starting this and then laying down the foundation which is pretty solid, and that's how everyone, whoever came in, um, everything was pretty much predefined that this is how you do, go about doing things, and then we just built on top of it. So just to thank you. Yeah, shout out to Nicholas. Yeah, I, and I, I totally agree. I, the, the, the way I actually got into ESLint is I had exactly the same idea uh, before I found ESLint. Um, and I started writing something, uh, you know, parsing code into AST and so on and so forth. Uh, never really finished it, but um, then I saw ESLint and I looked at the code and I was like, wow, this is so much better and cleaner than what I was trying to accomplish. He, he, he built a very solid foundation for us to be able to kind of build on top of it. Yeah, I just want to say this. If you're not using a linter right now, I really encourage you to use uh, ESLint. And if you don't have a style guide that your project uses, I would definitely pick one of the off-the-shelf style guides, something like Airbnb or Standard, and use that in your project and use that across all your projects because you'll find that having consistent code decreases a lot of difficulties when jumping into a different file or, or adding contributors to your project. So I strongly recommend just, just use a linter, use a style guide, and then if you get really curious, start writing custom rules because it can be a lot of nerdy fun. Cool. I, I actually... I, sorry. I, um, a couple of things that I wanted to mention. Um, it, like, if you're particular about your rules, I, I'm a little particular, probably irrationally so. Um, but, uh, yeah, Jamin is nodding his head. He can, he can testify to that. <laughs> but, uh, so, make your own config. So, ESLint is incredibly pluggable, um, and so you can create your own uh, rules and then, um, like, publish them to NPM um, as a config and then install them in other projects. So, I have plenty of open source project that, projects that use the same ESLint config. Um, it's similar to what uh, Feroz was uh, trying to accomplish and, and accomplished with standard, um, except it's, like, you don't have your own uh, binary to, to run on your code and stuff, but um, anyway, yeah, so make your own config if, if like, you're particular. Um, and then also, um, if you want to write custom rules, I think we should shout out to um, astexplorer.net. Um, it's fantastic, uh, a really, really good way to uh, learn, or, like, to experiment and, and write uh, rules for ESLint. So anything else anybody wants to mention? And I, I would encourage you that if you run into a problem where, you know, ESLint doesn't seem to solve it, search around NPM. There are literally thousands of different plugin packages out there. Some of them only have one rule, some of them have 10, uh, but there are a lot of custom rules available on NPM and custom configs too. Um, there's a good chance that somebody already created what you were looking for anyways. Cool. 
Um, I feel like there was one other thing that I was going to, to mention before we start wrapping things up, but if I think of it, I'll bring it up. So let's go ahead and we'll move into our uh, tips and picks um, for the show. So uh, Brian, why don't you go ahead and go first? Uh, don't really have much other than, um, yeah, the Esprima stuff. You should really check out um, parsing your own JavaScript AST just for fun. It's a really, really great project. I'll throw it in the link. Cool. And Dan, why don't you go next? Um, so uh, I have some picks, just two picks. So the first pick is uh, the blog post by uh, the author, the original author of Eastlint, about Eastlint success and uh, how it kind of uh, how it was a, a grassroots effort, where he didn't he didn't go give any kind of talks about it, and people just started adopting it because it was good and not pretentious. So it's a really great post. I suggest you read it. And my second pick is something I just saw today, which is called React Atelier, and this is uh, like a it's like a sandbox for your components. If you use React, you can try that out uh, as a way of sh sharing the components using your app uh, and having like all of them in one place where you can toggle different props and uh, see how they look. So it seems pretty awesome. Cool, thanks. And thanks for coming on to the show. Um, appreciate it. So um, for me, I have uh, a tip. Uh, I started adding a validate script in my npm scripts on my projects, and so now I can tell people, okay, like to get set up, you just clone the repo, run npm install, and then run npm run validate, and uh, this will run linting and um, like the build and the tests and everything that like you need to just make sure that w at least what you got from uh, GitHub or whatever uh, from the repo is correct before you start adding stuff and, and making changes, because if it's if the validate fails, then um, there's something something wrong. We need to look at it. So that's uh, my tip. And then for my picks, GitHub issue template support. Uh, so this is a link to an issue that uh, talks about how GitHub um, supports issue templates. And it may be possibly supported issue templates like a long time ago. Um, so anyway, check that out. Um, why don't we go next with uh, uh, Jamond? Hi. Uh, so for my pick, uh, there's this uh, guitar singer-songwriter guy, Rocky Vadalado from Seattle. I, I really love him. He just came out with a new EP. Uh, there's a link to it there. And Faris actually, Faros actually asked me to do his picks as well since uh, he got stuck off the internet. Um, and he's linking his picks were a standard format. It's a tool by Max Ogden to basically format your code to standard style. It's sort of like ESLint dash dash fix, but I think it actually works more comprehensively to fix even more errors. And that's built into standard. And then the links to why is Node running, I don't know what it is, and also to um, one other thing. There's this. There's a package for on npm that Ferris wrote called available that will tell you which package names are available. So if you need a clever name, you can use that to find what's available. Cool, cool. Um, all right, uh, Garadeep. I think you're muted. Uh, and I think it's it, you're probably um, muted just because you're boycotting the fact that I said your name wrong. <laughs> Sorry uh, about that. All right. Uh, for my tips, uh, I recommend using ShellJS uh, for cross-platform build processes. So using the makefile concept across platforms from Windows to 
whatever, DOS or whatever. And a Pixar uh, is to help you in testing, uh, check out proxy choir. Uh, it helps to override dependencies. Uh, I, I use it pretty much on all of my Node.js projects. Pretty cool. And something off the shelf I found was LXJS. That's my second pick. Uh, if you write a lot of blogs or essays or something, it helps you uh, catch possible offenses of race, gender, unequal phrases in your blogs. So that's a pretty nice tool. I haven't used it, but it'll detect all the any possible offense if you have in your blog. That's awesome. Cool. Thanks for that. Um, and um, Ilya. Um, so I have uh, three quick picks. Uh, first one is um, Visual Studio Code. Um, basically, Visual Studio Code had um, has a built-in debugger for Node, and it really helps when you're writing Node.js applications, including ESLint. That's that's what I use. Um, uh, having debugger built into your IDE is invaluable. Um, if you don't really want that, there's a, a project called Iron Node, uh, which is a standalone uh, node debugger, uh, which is also helpful. And uh, the last thing that I want to kind of uh, do a shout out is uh, for Babel ESLint. It's it's been mentioned, but it's a a parser for uh, ESLint or compatible parser for ESLint uh, that will allow you to lint uh, any style JavaScript style that is supported by Babel. Cool. Thank you. Um, I, I actually wanted to add one more pick. This thing is amazing. I love it. It's called npm run all, and it basically allows you to run multiple npm scripts um, in parallel. And so if you have like the validate script that I talked about earlier, um, um, building and linting and running uh, code coverage, those are or, or tests uh, in general, like those are three things that can run at the same time um, and like really speed things up. And so I use npm run all to just run all those at the same time, and it's awesome. Um, okay, I think that's our show. Uh, so, I, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll just go ahead and close this up. So remember, next week it, uh, is live at ReactConf, and it's on Tuesday, not Wednesday, and it's at 12.45 um, p.m. PST, um, so almost three hours later than normal. Um, and... Just a, a quick shout out to our silver sponsors, Arrive Fluent Conf and um, Auth0, a new silver sponsor. And then um, check out uh, suggest.javascriptair.com if you have suggestions for the show and guests, um, and feedback.javascriptair.com uh, to uh, give us feedback for this show. Uh, tell us what you thought about um, t like tweeting during the show, or like handling the tweeter, Twitter questions during the show, um, experimenting with that. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that's that's it. So thanks everybody for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. And uh, really sorry. Shout out to uh, for us. Uh, I think there were some technical difficulties, and he was booted. Uh, so I'm super super sorry about that. Um, but standards is awesome. Go check it out. Um, and thanks everybody for coming. Bye, we'll friends. See you all next week. Goodbye.